Greetings, church and friends of the church. Um, this episode uh, is the scripture lesson and the sermon from the October 10th, 2021 uh, worship service of the Valley Forge Presbyterian Church. Uh, the scripture of the day was uh, from John's Gospel, chapter 6, uh, John's telling of Jesus feeding the thousands. As John tells the story, he writes, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Philip said, to him, six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of these to get a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in that place, and so they all sat down about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to, uh, to those who were seated, and also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told the disciples, gather the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. So uh, this episode is the next in a connected series of uh, reflections on what it means that we, the church, and uh, because of the nature of my service, the particular context of <clears throat> being the people of the Valley Forge Presbyterian Church in King of Prussia, what it means that we are gathered by God for God's purposes and that we do not choose to gather for in pursuit of our own purposes or our own agendas or pleasing our own desires. So this, in this episode, um, we uh, consider a theological truth that I know is difficult for many of the Valley Forge Presbyterian community to uh, consider and process emotionally, but it's a necessary theological reflection for us as a particular congregation because of our particular circumstances. And I'll say more about that in the midst of this, uh, this uh, reflection. And that theological truth is this, that as we, the church, are gathered by God to glorify God, to pursue koinonia, the sharing of all things in common, and to discern how we can intentionally let our light shine out into the community, pews, bench seating, standard issue in the contemporary church, are not required. And we uh, at Valley Forge have to consider this theologically because of this particular vision for the future of our work and witness that's been discerned and is being recommended to the congregation. Because that particular vision includes the removal of our pews in order that our sanctuary space might be used for more than just one hour each week. In particular, that it might be used as a space for the sake of the young children of the families of our community. 
So more will be shared at some town hall meetings that are going to be coming up in a, in a few weeks, and uh, our membership will receive updates and a letter about that coming soon. But the vision for our ministry to children at Valley Forge is not a simple transplant of the same morning nursery school program from one space to a new space, but is an expansion of that which we are able to offer to families as they exist today. And families as they exist today are primarily working parents, both single parent households and two parent households. The vast majority of parents are working and they're making lower wages, relatively speaking, compared to what parents made um, when our nursery school began decades ago. And so we have discerned a fresh vision for how to reach out to and meet the needs of families as they exist today and not as they existed decades ago when, when most families had stay-at-home parents and more sufficient wages. So if we at Valley Forge are indeed called, as uh, we are considering in the consideration of this large vision, to convert our CE building into housing, for the least of our sisters and brothers. And if we are indeed called to maintain the commitment of our fellowship hall to the operation of the Upper Marion area community covered for the sake of feeding our hungry and food insufficient neighbors in the community. And then if we are also indeed called to continue providing a safe, affordable, compassionate space for children to be loved and to learn and to grow, then we need room in the sanctuary for them. There's no other place to put them. So to us, I understand that pews feel like a central part of the Christian experience. And maybe there's something inside of us that just assumes that surely pews must have been instituted by Jesus and have been supporting his followers for 2,000 years. But this is not actually the case. Pews are a relatively new part of the Christian experience in our world. The New Testament stories of the earliest church being gathered by God make no mention of church buildings, let alone pews within them. And the emphasis in these stories of the first Christians is on koinonia, sharing, intentionality uh, of holding things in common and meeting needs. The, the emphasis is on good works that shine and incarnate this, this way of love for neighbor taught by Jesus. And they're not. These stories are not stories of habitual gatherings in which folks are seated facing in one direction toward one voice telling everyone what to believe. In his first apology, uh, which was written by um, church father Justin Martyr, he describes the second century church, the next generation of Christians after the early church. And he wrote that on the day called Sunday, all who live in the cities or the country gather in one place. The memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read. The president instructs the people, we all rise together to pray. Bread and wine are brought and distributed to each. They who are willing and able give what each thinks is fitting. And the president takes care of all those who are in need. So Martyr makes no mention of any type of seed. He does mention that they rise to pray together, so they were sitting at some point. 
but nothing about their seating was noteworthy. Again, it's it's the koinonia, it's the intentional love of neighbor, it's the sharing, it's the community that are the centerpiece of the Christian experience. And there are centuries of Christian history between the era of the early church and then the Protestant Reformation, but it seems that this question of where Christians were seated as it pertains to, <clears throat> you know, congregations of Christians being gathered by God for worship, that was largely absent from these centuries. Um, it, was only, it was only in the 19th century that people started to ask where these things came from, um, how the church evolved to have pews within it. One of the earliest, earliest works of the church on this topic is a paper by a British pastor, John Mason Neal, who shared before the Cambridge Camden Society on November 22nd, 1841, his research paper entitled The History of Pews. It's research to which he was commissioned uh, to track down the history of pews in English churches. And the bottom line of his research is that pews were by and large not in use uh, within congregational gatherings before the Protestant Reformation. He describes how reading pews were starting to become popular in the late 16th century, though yet uh, unauthorized, but were sanctioned officially uh, by canon law in 1603. And reading pews were small benches or desks that were used by the clergy up in the front on the chancel as the clergyman went on and on and on for hours and hours and hours and hours. Neil writes that after sanctioning the reading pew, here we may date the rise of the pews. For when the clergyman has his, the squire, the Franklin, the yeoman, each in their turn clamored for theirs, and the evil came like a flood. Neil is very melodramatic. He cites a number of parishes in which the earliest dates inscribed on the pews are the first decade of the 17th century. And he also notes how many parish records detail how um, freeholders erected pews at their own private expense. People were allowed to build them in their church buildings on their own for their own sake. So he claimed that by the second half of the 17th century, the late 1600s, pews were sufficiently common, and churches began, uh, chiefly in large towns, to be pewed throughout. Churches began to assume their present appearance and were repewed by the wholesale. And then, too, he writes, pews began to be held in admiration. So along with the introduction of pews to church buildings, Neil talks about how Parishioners were clamoring instead of gathering in the peace of Christ. Some were able to fund extravagant pews and others were relegated to inferior benches or on the floor. And all of this, all of this, all of this happened within the context of the Protestant Reformation, where the, the center of gravity of the church, where the focus of the church shifted and became so monopolized by the quest for being the people of right belief compared to everybody else that the central act of being a Christian became sitting and facing the preacher for hours on end so that the preacher could offer sermons chock full of complex theological arguments for why their particular system of Christian belief 
was right and deserving of heavenly rewards and why others, even if the disagreement was in a small, in the minutia, were tragically wrong and deserving of eternal uh, condemnation. This was all happening in that context. These pews were put in so that people could stare straight ahead with not particular concern for anybody next to them, but just that they might listen to and then regurgitate what was being told was the heavenly belief system. But as we remember from, from our reflections on the Apostle James's words to the church, we are not just to be hearers, but doers. And perhaps this is why Neil wrote in his piece, again, quite melodramatically, for what is the history of pews but the history of the intrusion of human pride and selfishness and indolence into the worship of God? The introduction of pews, as trifling as it may seem, has exercised no small influence for ill, and an equally powerful effect for good would follow their extirpation. We have recommended their eradication, for we knew well that if we could not destroy them, they would destroy us. So I'm not arguing that this is story of the people of Valley Forge Presbyterian Church. Uh, no one in this congregation paid individually for personal pews, some being very elaborate, and others of lesser means on inferior benches or on the floor in ways that separate and fracture and segregate the body. I've never seen any arguments come to blows as people clamor over a particular seat in a pew. Um, however, I do know that some of our people have places that they consider to be their seats in the pews, and that's a very common human experience to settle into the comfort and the reassurance of habit, especially when that habit reminds us of good times and memories while seated in that particular place. I, I could take anyone to Paley Presbyterian and, and show them where my seat was from as early as I can remember until I left for seminary. I understand how pews may feel to many of us like a central part of our faith. They've, they've always been there. They, they were here holding us up from the rear end when we developed a certainty of faith, this keen awareness of God's loving presence and goodness and commitment to guide and sustain life. They were underneath of us holding us up when our children were baptized and couples were married and when Resurrection promises were proclaimed at funerals and memorial services. But we acknowledge that during all of those seasons of being built up in faith and celebrating sacraments and marriages and love, remembering loved ones lost, that most churches, Valley Forge included, had not yet discerned any other ministries to undertake or any other community needs to meet in the name of Jesus within that sanctuary space. A pewed sanctuary was fitting to who Valley Forge Presbyterian Church was for a very long time. But those circumstances are not the present circumstances. There are new ministries to undertake, and there are new community needs to be met in, with love for neighbor. There are ways that we need to be more than hearers and doers in that space. There are new ways of using our sanctuary that are more fitting to our circumstances and our Christian calling as they exist today. 
And I've also come to envision and to trust that having the flexibility to seat ourselves in a different configuration with chairs will greatly enhance our sense of connectedness, friendship, and koinonia as we are gathered for worship. We will feel the joy of being a vibrant and connected small church in our big and beautiful sanctuary than feeling fear or shame as though we're some failing large church and being sparsely spread out in our vacuous space. Our people don't want or need to sit facing only me and our seminarian Peter or anyone else who's up on the chancel. For what God is seeking to do among our people is not just coming from my voice. It's, it, and it's not, it's not just narrated and found in relationship with me, but in relationship of koinonia and fellowship with one another. As we sit face to face and not just stare at the back of each other's heads. We refuse to accept this identity and calling from God that is before us as a congregation. The vision of food and housing and childcare. If our concern is just to keep coming and sit in our spot in the pew for an hour each week, then we will most likely continue along the trajectory that too many churches are on. That of being this club-like congregation that declines to the point of closure. But the good news is that if we make the hard decision to change and adapt, Accepting the recommendation, much more gently worded than Neil's call to destroy and eradicate, but to remove the pews, not, not because we think they're inherently evil like he may have, but, but because there are other things that God needs us to do in these spaces, both for our own sake and for the sake of our neighbor. God will lead us into faithful and sustainable life. We heard in John's gospel narrative that Jesus gathered the crowds not in a bunch of pews, but on the grassy mountainside after they journeyed past the Sea of Galilee. Sounds beautiful. He told his disciples, have everyone sit on the grass. At other times, he gathered his disciples around tables, around fires, among the gardens, around trees. The early Christians gathered in homes and in public places outdoors. For centuries and centuries, the church grew and proliferated and was faithful and fruitful without, without pews, because it was never about the pews, but about the Spirit of God gathering the church. And those baptisms, weddings, funerals, Sunday morning moments, and those, those that we, we remember and we cherish, it, none of that was ever about the pews, but about the Spirit of God gathering us, doing something among us during those times. Jesus sat the crowds, wherever they happened to be, this time on a grassy mountainside, to feed them, to teach them, to love them, to knit them together in community and belonging to one another. Whether we are gathered in our sanctuary in pews or in chairs, you're sitting on the floor or out in the church court, courtyard or down in the parking lot or sitting on our own hillside or, or gathering at one of our people's homes or sitting in our own home and, and connecting in via Zoom. We know that where we are sitting really doesn't change anything about who God is and what God is seeking to do within and through us. 
we know that no matter where we're seated, we, we can trust that God will feed and lead and inspire and save us no matter where we are or what we're sitting upon. And we can, and we can absolutely know and trust that Jesus will always call us to stand up from where we're seated anyway and to participate in the work that he's doing for the sake of the others, just like he did with his disciples on the mountainside. They didn't get to sit in the grass for too long before they were upstanding and working with a love for neighbor for the sake of the others. I know that change is hard and that our congregation is being asked to consider many layers of difficult change all in one great big vision. But we must not lose sight of our undergirding faith in the face of change that's making us feel uncertain, if not afraid. If we maintain our commitment to glorifying God in all that we say and we do, if we maintain our commitment to koinonia sharing, if we maintain our commitment to responding to the call of Christ to be mindful of the needs of others and to participate in his work of meeting them, we will all find that we have what we need to live together in joy and in peace. Just like the loaves in the story, there will be enough for us his disciples, there will be enough for the community around us whom we are called to serve and before whom we are called to shine. There will be enough for those who are food insufficient and come to the pantry to receive God's gifts of grace and loving help. There will be enough for those who are housing insufficient without any safety net or social support and find a safe place to live and find friendship across the courtyard. There will be enough for those working parents who are currently spending way too much of their paychecks on childcare to the point that they can't afford other essentials. And there will be even more left over, baskets full. For those we will be called to love and serve in the future that we don't see clearly yet. To be gathered, equipped, and commissioned as the body of Christ, his faithful followers, his church. Pews are not required. The essentials would still be here, even as the pews were not. The God of all good, the witness and the call of Christ, consolation and guidance of the Spirit of God, and the love, support, encouragement, and fellowship of one another, our siblings in the gospel. And so with humility and a conviction and faith to pursue this vision for our future, I ask all of our people to prayerfully reflect upon this challenging, beautiful, and life-sustaining vision being offered to us by the Spirit of God. A vision that not only promises God's gifts as we are gathered and seated, but also demands sacrifice as we are blessed and gifted in getting up, standing up and serving our neighbor in love. To God be the glory. Amen. Be well, take care, be safe, and peace to all.